Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens filling in for the week. I typically host KQED Newsroom on the TV side, but since we're on hiatus right now, I get to be here with you. And we're going to be turning now to East Palo Alto, where some residents who came to California after fleeing sea level rise in their Pacific Island homes are finding they may soon be climate refugees for a second time. I decided to leave because it's too much. And then we come here to America, and here is this. More than half of the city is vulnerable to flood, with seas predicted to rise by two feet by the year 2050 and possibly seven feet by 2100. We're going to dive into KQED's series, Fighting to Stay, Climate Solutions in East Palo Alto. Joining us now to talk about East Palo Alto facing rising seas and displacement are Ezra Dave Romero, our new climate reporter here at KQED. Ezra, welcome to the show. Welcome to KQED. Thanks for having me. And Violet Saena, the Director of Climate Resilient Communities. Violet, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Violet, let's start with you. Could you tell us about your background? Because I, I find your, your work and your history fascinating, and I really want our audience to understand what you have experienced viscerally and what you are seeing now in your new home. Um, thank you very much for the question. Um, yes, yeah, so I come from, well, I hail from Samoa, um, from the South Pacific. Uh, my background around these issues of climate change, not only that I've lived through it before I migrated to the United States, but I've also worked for the government of Samoa and the people of Samoa to address um, the emerging or the, the challenges that climate change has caused to the islands. Um, one of the, and I like to tell this story because in my background, you know, I my first experience a cyclone or hurricane in nineteen in nineteen ninety, and then my second cyclone um, that I experienced in my life was in nineteen ninety two, and then the following years it had become more frequent and more intense and severe, and um, and and what would happen during those cyclones in Samoa? So what I've seen um, a lot, you know, for a small island state, and if there is a five, you know, a, a very strong cyclone like um, Category 4, it destroys everything. It not only destroys the land, the homes, even the crops. You know, we live on islands. We depend on natural resources for our survival, for our livelihoods and food. And once the cyclone hits an island, everything is destroyed. Um, so it leaves a lot of people abandoned, um, helpless, and I've seen all of that. I've seen how people suffered through these events. And then sea level rise, um, the inundation and the coastal erosions of lands, people have started to lose 
um, their ancestral lands, which is more valuable than any currency I think there is for island people. And you worked on climate change policy improvement there, and now you're here and you are once again seeing problems arise. What are you seeing? Yes, so it's the same, um, you know, same problems, same threats. It's climate change, but the other similarity is that it's the same people as well. People that are under-resourced, people who have less capacity to respond are the most vulnerable. They are the ones who are going to be devastated. Um, lives threatened, even their livelihoods are being threatened to the state because of the climate extremes that we are experiencing. And Ezra, talk to us a little bit about your investigation into what East Palo Alto is doing to address climate change. Yeah, I mean, Violet Santa was a huge part of that. We talked maybe like a month or a month and a half ago. And you know, she was just really telling me that these people are, you know, Samoan, Latino, Black, Asian, um, that they didn't really understand what climate change was originally. They did this survey. They realized but they didn't understand climate change at all, but they understood flooding. They didn't see the connection. I mean, so some of the reporting was just really about learning how this community has began to understand climate change and the connection with the existing flooding in their city and how it's going to get worse over time. Um, and then sort of educating them about, Violet's group educating them about what the risks are and making them, um, engaged in politics and local and getting levies and things like that in their around their neighborhoods and so there is a project called safer bay which will encircle put a semi-circle of protection around from palo alto to redwood city um marshes and levees and that's supposed to be done by 2030 or so so when that's done um east palo alto will be protected from 10 feet of sea level rise 10 feet above the where the sea level is today, um, but that's still far off, and that's still um, dependent on all these entities getting together. You know, Facebook is there just next to this community. There's big tech there. There's multiple cities, unincorporated areas, private land, PG&E, Dumbarton Bridge, Caltrans. There's so much at stake there in this one little spot in California where there's thirty thousand people or so. Violet, what do you see as the best solutions that are occurring right now and what needs to happen to protect your community there? Well, the best solution is really, um, you know, it's it, it's different it's different layers of actions that needs to take place. Um, when I started working with the communities, you know, there was always a top-down approach, you know, build a levy. Um, but yet uh, the community that are being impacted and affected are not engaged. We're not engaged in these planning processes. But I also believe even with my lived experience and the work that I've been doing many years, it's valuable to actually work with communities to build their own capacity and their own response because they are actually the experts on the ground. They know best. They've experienced flooding. They've, um, you know, they've created networks and we need to elevate them. So those are, I think, best solutions are community-based government, um, community organizations coming together, working as a unit to address all the the issues that comes with climate change and sea level rise. 
We are talking about sea level rise and local efforts in East Palo Alto to mitigate climate change with Ezra David Romero, climate reporter at here at KQED, and Violet Sanna, the director of Climate Resilient Communities, which is a group dedicated to protecting the peninsula's underrepresented residents as the climate crisis grows. What are your questions about how communities are coping with sea level rise in the Bay Area? You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Ezra, there is this multi-part series that you and some of our other science reporters worked on in which you really looked very specifically at this community, at the problems they face, and some of the solutions. And one of the things you uh, investigated was the physical aspect of building a seawall. And I'd like to listen to a clip in which you actually get into a bathtub in order to explain what's going on with the water action coming into the bay and what happens when there's a seawall built. Let's listen to that. The bath is pretty full. As I get in, I'm the sea level rise. On the open side of the tub, the water spills over the edge onto some towels that absorb it, kind of like an earthen levee. On the other side, waves crash against the shallow wall, like a seawall, and splash back, making the water in the tub more agitated. But every city that puts up a seawall increases the wave action and the sea level for other cities along the bay shore. All right, I gotta get out. Very clever way of expressing this over the air, and it really uh, helped me understand what's happening with these various water actions. Is there good communication around the bay? I'm going to guess the answer is no, about how each of these various municipalities handle sea level rise so that we are working together as a connected community to address this issue. Yeah, Kevin Stark, he's another reporter who worked on the series and I talked a lot about this. And one thing we realized during this process is that there's a lot of jurisdiction on the at the local level, people, um, neighbors, city council members, even county, and then love at the state as well, but not as much in the middle, in this regional level, connecting all the dots county to county. Um, but there is a group. Um, that is beginning that at the moment. It doesn't necessarily have teeth right now. They're still getting to know what's happening in all these communities. Um, they're still a long way off from really understanding um, how all these places are in- interconnected and what's really happening. For example, in San Mateo County, there's a group called One Shoreline where <clears throat> they've come together and they want to protect the entire San Mateo shoreline. And so they're doing projects for like this one, the Safer Bay Project, they're doing another one um, a little bit north of there, but their goal is to protect the entire San Mateo County shoreline. And then other counties are doing something similar, but they're all sort of at different places and there's not um, buy-in at the same level from every entity or every city. Even in somewhere like San Mateo, there's certain cities that are less interested in the work as well. So at this point, you know, sea level rise, it's one of those climate of impacts too, that's, you know, it's far in the distance, right? We're not seeing sea level rise all at once right now. So it's, it's sort of like this slow threat that builds over time, unlike wildfire or drought, which are present and all of a sudden here. Um, so there's, it's sort of, it's sort of a slow process to get, get all this together, but just like what, what's happening in Violet's community of East Palo Alto, they're realizing that if we don't take care of this now, this problem will just escalate and f- 
future generations will um, be harmed. And that was the point of that whole scene that we did in the bathtub was to show how the entire Bay Area is interconnected. If you put a seawall in one community, um, it will push the water to another community um, who maybe has a solution like a levee. That was, that's really good, but maybe that seawall inundates that. The water that is, is diverted inundates that other solution. So there needs to be this kind of communication and it is happening. It's just not the level where, where it should be at the moment. You are listening to Forum on KQED. My name is Priya David Clemens. And I'd like to go now to Violet. When you talk, Violet, about the seawall that is being built there and the education of your community and the connections with the communities around you, do you feel like this message is making it through to really get people motivated for change? Or is it in a way, like as we're saying, you know, there are other things that are top of mind for folks, drought, fires, racial equity. Do you feel like your message on this is really uh, hitting people to make change? I think locally um, in the community, I think it's hitting the, you know, it's hitting the people that, you know, we were trying to communicate to. I mean, first of all, you know, we have, you know, the community, the residents, and then we have our local government, and then we have our regional government, which is San Mateo County. So I think for our region, um, you know, San Mateo County are doing a lot of work um, to coordinate the efforts to address sea level rise as Ezra mentioned, we, we, he mentioned the One Shoreline Project or um, One Shoreline um, body of the government of the of San Mateo County that are addressing sea level rise. Um, but um, locally, um, I think that I think it was important to um, communicate uh, the messages and build community understanding around the issue. Um, and I think that has also um, um, accelerated in the past years. We have many community-based organizations have started climate change programs um, who are addressing the issue of building community um, education and awareness. I think one thing that we need to communicate more is that a lot of the funding that is available, it's not available to communities to build adaptation programs. And I think that is where we need more work so that we can increase funding opportunities for vulnerable communities to access for, for and, their response. And Violet, when it comes to climate change and, you know, additional flooding in some of these zones, can you talk about why it is particularly important with these underrepresented marginalized communities to put these protective measures in place right now about their ability to recover? Yeah, because they are directly, they are directly, um, you know, they are right there where the hazard, um, you know, is happening and will occur. And these communities don't also don't have the resources to respond. As Ezra said, you know, the, you know, with the sea level rise, if one rich city is building a seawall and East Palo Alto is one of the poorest cities, cannot afford to protect themselves, then all that water will come to East Palo Alto. That's why it's also important like, to address sea level rise. It needs a regional approach um, to protect everybody, not just the few, but everyone. 
And Ezra, if you could further that discussion, I know there was talk in the story about how many in the community, you know, they're they're not going to be able to buy another car. They're not going to be able to rebuild their home, that they're going to be pushed out. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality when you have a community, right, with limited means, right? This the, the, the asset they may have is maybe just their house and they have nothing else. And they, you know, maybe I think the median... Uh, price of a house in East Palo Alto is like 800000 or something like that. Um, and it's much more expensive everywhere else in the Bay Area. So like, you know, it's it's this is just this tension of where do they go? Where do they run? I mean, the woman at the end of the story said that, you know, like, where do we run, you know, if when the water comes, right? If, if they can't afford anywhere else or or they can't afford is really far away in a new place where it's culturally different and you know, I think at the at the heart of all of our my conversations with Violet and other people and what the story is all about, it's all about care. You know, climate change is an issue of care in because we, if we lived in a culture that valued care or consent, like we wouldn't have a climate crisis, right? We wouldn't deal with these things. We wouldn't have the ramifications of climate change because we wouldn't ever do any action that would harm our neighbor or harm our friend. Um, or and to treat people like they're your brothers and sisters. And so that's sort of the heart of this story is to get people to start also start thinking about the reason why we do the things we do and realize that they are making other people's lives worse. Um, and that's why we got to think of these like regional solutions in, the, in a way that if it's going to protect us, is it going to protect our neighbor down yeah, the road? Yeah, thank you. And Violet, tell us about the tools your organization is giving communities such as emergency packs. Well, we, we're currently working with um, the CERT group. Um, this is a, a, an organization in East Palo Alto. They're specialized in community emergency response. So we are developing a program where we can um, create emergency or preparedness kits for, for families um, and also increase awareness around those things because it does not exist. Um, East Palo Alto doesn't have a disaster preparedness um, program. Um, like, you know, if a flood happens, where do you run? Um, so our organization, what we really do is support other partners with their efforts and with the hope that we'll be able to reach more families, more residents, um, so that the, you know, the tools that they will be um, getting the tools they need um, to plan for for disasters of climate change. You can find the entire series, Fighting to Stay, Climate Solutions in East Palo Alto, on our website, kqed.org. We've been talking about rising sea levels with Ezra David Romero, a climate reporter here at KQED, and Violet Saena, the director of Climate Resilient Communities. I want to thank both of you for joining us today, Ezra and Violet. Thanks for having me. And you have been listening to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens. Stick around. In the next hour of Forum, you've got Mina Kim and more excellent conversation.
funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.